Hello out there to all you Brooklyn folk and beyond. This is Sam Maxwell, and you are here with the Bedford and Sullivan Podcast, the podcast that keeps you, the audience, active listeners in the Brooklyn Dodgers TV series research process. And it's been a little while since we got on this uh, podcast. Apologies if I'm a little uh, – I, I had quite the weekend. I was uh, uh, rooting on some sports and everything, and, and it had been a while since I had – exhausted my voice to the level that I'm exhausting the voice. And and things are getting back to normal. Uh, we're wearing masks less. And to help us see where Brooklyn is at this particular junction of time uh, is the Brooklyn trolley blogger himself, Mike LaColan, who is no stranger to the show. Mike, welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. Good afternoon, everyone. So, you know, it certainly feels like summer. I'm not sure if you're still in your backyard, but you're, you're right in the thick of that Brooklyn summer heat. But it is uh, still technically spring. So why don't we, you know, just get a little bit of up-to-date regarding Brooklyn currently. Of course, the echoes of what Brooklyn has always been and once was, it, it's always screaming. Anytime I'm in the borough, anytime, I, I, you know, you, you travel around the borough, uh, so much. What is going on in, as spring becomes summer? Um, more or less the same that happens everywhere. Uh, rebirth, renewal, especially, you know, where we, we like to think we're on the back end of this pandemic, but more and more people are getting outside. More and more people are, uh, you know, exercising uh, public liberties. And, uh, you know, slowly but surely, things are headed towards a normalcy. Uh, when we get there, we don't know. But, you know, uh, for the most part, I can speak for Brooklyn. Like you say, I, I do travel and traverse the borough from border to border or water to water. Uh, you know, I think everyone's been pretty much in compliance. And, you know, now you go outside and it's 50-50 with the masks. Some are wearing it, some aren't. Uh, but people are being respectful. People are still putting them on when they go inside uh, stores or things of that nature. And uh, people are being polite. You know, so I, I like I like what's going on. Uh, you know, aside what they try to shove down our throats in, in, in the news, you know, my eyes experience something much more pleasant much more easygoing, much more cooperative out there. Hello, everyone. Michael Cohen here, a.k.a. the Brooklyn Trolley Blogger. I don't know what happened to Sam. I don't know if you can hear me. Uh, but I'll continue mission until I have another indication. Me and Sam, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, like you said, spring in Brooklyn. And Mike, can you hear me now? I can hear you now, friend. Sorry, everybody out there. I was having a little bit of trouble with the Bluetooth in the car. Obviously, it's short-circuited for a second. The uh, means of modern technology with live entertainment. <laughs> Thank you, Mike, for uh, <laughs> no carrying onward. Um, so let's talk baseball. Let's go right down to the, uh, uh, what this show is technically all about. Uh, although it's really technically all about Brooklyn, but you can't talk about Brooklyn without talking about baseball. Baseball was back in Brooklyn in spring for the first time 
since 1957, have you taken any games yourself in at Coney Island? I have. I have. I've taken in three so far. Uh, it's good to be back. Good to be back at Coney Island and get that breeze off the off the ocean and the beach. Uh, good to be back and watching uh, Cyclones baseball, our returning 2019 Penn League champions, even though the Penn League is no more. Uh, but we all know last year there was no minor league baseball season. This is the first time we've gotten to see our, uh, a handful, a bunch of our champions who returned with the Brooklyn Cyclones this year. So I've been to three games. Uh, more and more it's opening up. The first game, the, the protocol there, you know, was pretty strict in so far that you can only buy blocks of four tickets uh, and four, four seats would be uh, tie wrapped. Four seats would be available. Four seats would be Tyra. So that's how they staggered everything. Uh, they wanted to see proof of an, uh, proof of a vaccination. And uh, otherwise, it was a normal day at the park. Uh, but baseball is indeed back. And like you say, baseball is back in spring, which is very important uh, because it hasn't, professional baseball at least, hasn't happened here in Brooklyn since 1957, as you say. And next year, it'll be even more special when they, in fact, play in April. Uh, this year they started in May, but still, uh, it's still the earliest professional baseball game played here by a team in Brooklyn since 1957. Uh, and a lot, of, a lot of people recognize that and take that into account, especially the old-timers. Still a lot of people in Brooklyn wearing Brooklyn Dodger caps, man. Oh, yeah, I, I can imagine. I mean, I, have, I can't remember the last time I've been to a game out at uh... – uh, what are they calling it now? Is it still MCU? Uh, it is now Mamamides Park. So new new sponsor. Somebody else is paying for their name <laughs> on the stadium. <laughs> to me, well, I'm going to have to learn how to always, pronounce that one. To me, it will always be uh, the former steeplechase grounds. But yeah, Mamamides Park. Right. So uh, I think you start, mentioned some players. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say that I, I, you mentioned that some players, because, of course, it used to be short season A, which was basically originally the next up from rookie ball, but rookie ball has been dissolved, as has short season baseball. Um, so, when you, you, you know, obviously short season used to have a lot of the college kids, you know, right after they got drafted, right after they signed with the Mets, they would go off to, uh, you know, the, the, the opening day usually wasn't until about June 18th, generally speaking. So, of course, opening day was, uh, was uh, earlier this year, uh, and, of course, they are the high A Cyclones now. So some of the players uh, from, like you said, from the championship Cyclones uh, team are now on this team. So if you could go, uh, you know, let's get into some specifics. Let's talk a little bit of this new generation of Brooklyn baseball. First, of course, tell me about some of the players that are returning from the championship season. And then, of course, it, it seems right now, and maybe some of this, uh, you know, I'm kind of ignorant to it, some of this may overlap uh, in, in of the questions, but it also seems like the future stars, you know, potential future stars of the New York Mets are really being showcased right now, really in the middle of that order, correct? <laughs> yeah. Uh, something funny going on Coney Island. Uh, let's start with some of the returning players from 2019. Our champions, our returning champions, 
Uh, some of them, you know, are, are more highly touted, touted prospects would be uh, third baseman Brett Beatty. Uh, he's off to a marvelous start. Uh, first baseman Joe Gennard, he's another one. Ronnie uh, Maurizio, he's a graduate. He's moving up in levels, and uh, he's having an outstanding season. Uh, but another one of the returnees would be Luke Ritter, uh, Zach Ashford, Antoine Duplantis. You know, so there's a bunch. There's a bunch. And, you know, for the first time, there's a, a sense of familiarity with the teams. You know, uh, there's a lot of transition in the formerly short season. Uh, like you say, the college players coming, making their first professional debut. Uh, so it's nice to see a lot of these, not a lot, but a, a, a good number of them returning, uh, see them again, you know, uh, Again, there's that familiarity, and here in Brooklyn, getting to see some local heroes day in, day out, year in, year out, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Uh, But like you say, now we are high A, and that's a step up from what we used to be, short short season, low A ball. So in, in the natural process, yeah, a lot of these players that would have graduated from the Brooklyn Cyclones, well, they stay here because now the the organization has elevated upward, uh, whereas St. Lucie is now the low A team, where it used to be the high A team. So Brooklyn and St. Lucie kind of flip-flop. And then, of course, we have uh, Binghamton and Syracuse rounding at the four minor league organizations, the four affiliates that uh, Major League Baseball wants, you know, in their organization. But, uh, you know, Brett Beatty, we should see him at City Field in a couple of years, maybe even two years, it's having a good season. Uh, and keep an eye out on Ronnie uh, Maurizio. Like I said, he's a, he's a, a promoted player for uh, 2019. So this is his first stop with Brooklyn at the high A level. Uh, you know, what's funny going on, everything start, starts at the top, right, Sam, organizationally. So you have to bring the parent club into this conversation and what's going on in Brooklyn is they're striking out at a fantastic rate at an inordinate rate. Uh, and they are last in the league in stolen bases. So they don't run and they strike out a ton. I, I think out of uh, all the games that they've played to date, they haven't, uh, they, they, they struck out less then 10 times, maybe only five, six, or seven times. Otherwise, they're uh, averaging double-digit strikeouts uh, like we brush our teeth. And I'm not talking just 10, 11. I'm talking <laughs> 15, 16, 18 strikeouts a game, you know, uh, up and down the lineup from opening day to the present time. Uh, and, and if this is a philosophical thing that the organization is trying to impress upon their affiliates, oh, my God, it, it, it's a ghastly sight outside of hits. Uh, and that's another thing. Uh, there's a home run explosion, something that's been unfamiliar to us Brooklyn Cyclone fans at the short A uh, level. Now that we're high A, even the competition, there's a lot of balls leaving the yard, a lot of balls leaving the yard. Joe, uh, Joe Gnord, first baseman for the Cyclones, he's up there. Uh, he's one of the league leaders, but uh, th- th- there's a big difference in play from 
the former level that the Cyclones played at to the present level. Uh, but the strikeouts are through the roof. They don't steal bases. And, you know, you have to think that's an organizational, uh, you know, process underway. Yeah, you have to wonder about that. And speaking of the organization, uh, they are now in the thick of New York City two levels away, basically. I mean, it, it is conceivable for somebody who is really rapidly transitioning through the organization that they could be seen at City Field, especially with the slew of injuries, they could be seen at City Field, you know, it isn't unprecedented that when somebody's developed, uh, when somebody gets called up to double-A that, you know, they skip triple-A and go directly to majors. So, you know, uh, they're getting a front, front row New York City uh, view a lot closer to the majors than like we were talking about before. You know what, if you just give me a second and let me bring it up. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because one of the players for the Cyclones got promoted up to Binghamton this year. Uh, and, you know, it's funny how things work out. You never know. You can very well see him at City Field. Uh, just give me a second, and let me see if I could find him. I, I, I'm embarrassed that I, I, I can't remember his name freely like this. Uh, Jake Magnum. Uh, I'm sorry, Jake Magnum. That's who it is. He got promoted from the Cyclones okay. in, in this season. He is now with Binghamton. And, uh, again, as you say, if these guys, you know, uh, perform and fast-track through the system, they can very possibly go from Brooklyn to City Field, sure. And, uh, you know, of course, the benefits of having a team, an affiliate within the, the borders of the city is, you know, rehab assignments and things of that nature. Uh, they'll always come here, and that's great for the fans. Yeah, and speaking of this consolidation of minor league baseball, of course, you know, there's going to be people hurt along the way. First of all, Mike, what is your overall perception now that you're seeing it unfold, number one? And number two, now all the New York Mets affiliates, except for Port St. Lucie, which is the only one that all like makes sense, all the New York uh, uh, the Mets affiliations have now been consolidated to New York City. And sometimes there is an overlap of Met fans that do listen to this show. And so any Met fan listening to the show knows how uh, much of a far cry that was from the situations beforehand. <laughs> sure. Uh, but the Mets, you know, they had that arrangement once upon a time with Buffalo as their AAA affiliate. So, you know, uh, but that failed. And that was uh, due to the front office and their relationship and their interpersonal relationships with those organizations. Uh, they kind of, uh, you know, they didn't play nice, so to say. So now that we have our AAA in Syracuse, our AA in Binghamton, you know, our, our high A affiliate here in Brooklyn, and then there's St. Lucie. And St. Lucie, uh, you know, fulfills a, a very specific purpose with the facilities there and so far as rehab and injury recovery. So that's a good place for that. And I, I can understand why uh, the Mets didn't want to try to relocate that low, low A affiliate closer, more closer to home. Uh, St. Lucie uh, serves a very distinct and uh, specific purpose 
And, you know, I, I think they do a good job down there. So, uh, yeah, uh, conveniency, locality, you know, familiarity. Uh, it, it's good for New York State. It's good for the brand. It's certainly, you know, good for the Mets having their affiliates throughout New York State. Uh, so that's good. Unlike the Yankees, you know, they they tried to get in closer to home with Hudson Valley and, and parting ways with uh, New Jersey, but their AAA affiliate is still in Pennsylvania. So that's one step up that the Mets have over the Yankees organizationally, you know, uh, and good for them. Yeah, really good for them. You know, it, it's been very uh, few and far between that anybody in New York City could say that, uh, you know. And, of course, you know, Staten Island, which used to be a natural rivalry when it came to uh, the Cyclones, uh, that that is no longer, right? Uh, that is correct. There are no more Staten Island Yankees. Uh, there's still an ownership group there that maintains the lease on the park, you know, but that's obviously going to go nowhere. Maybe within time an independent league team will come, more, more than most likely the Atlantic League, uh, but that still needs to be hashed out. No team is going to want to come here if somebody else owns the lease on the park. That's probably the biggest obstacle there. But, no, no Staten Island Yankees. That rivalry is done. Uh, that's for the books now. And the new rivalry, if you will, is with the Jersey Shore Blue Claws, formerly the Lakewood Blue Claws, a Phillies affiliate. Uh, so that is the new rivalry. Uh Brooklyn versus, you know, Jersey Shore, Coney Island versus Jersey Shore, if you will. So you'll have to have a little bit of fun and imagination to gear up, gear yourself up for that one, you know. But uh, it is what it is. Uh, <laughs> one of the more interesting aspects of the season and the reorganization is some of the competition, you know, playing Asheville, playing Greenville. These are teams that are unfamiliar to the Cyclones, and we're getting to see them for the first time in action on the field. You know, uh, some of these teams go back 20, 30 years, you know. So uh, very cool, uh, different localities, different teams. Of course, the only teams that came from the New York Penn League along with the Cyclones are the Aberdeen Ironbirds and uh, whoever else I might be uh, forgetting at the moment. But it's a conglomeration of former South Atlantic League teams and uh, things of that nature. So different competition. We get to travel a little farther. This year, the entire league is not conducting interplay. We're only sticking with uh, five or six teams closest to Brooklyn. Uh, the more southern teams are sticking to their localities. Maybe next season it'll be a lot more normal, and there will be a lot more travel, and we will still see uh, some new teams like Rome, Greensboro, uh, teams like that. But right now, we will be facing Asheville and Greenville, and that'll be cool. And Wilmington. I should throw Wilmington in there. Yeah. The Wilmington uh, Blue Rocks. I, I visited them about two years ago. Three years ago. I forget about the pandemic. I love the these, new competition. some of these cool. uh, minor league names. Yeah, but uh, it's different competition. It's cool. I think Greensboro, if it's the same Greensboro, probably goes back even further. Um, you know, I, I don't. I, I guess the Durham Bulls are uh, AAA. Is that correct? Uh, the Durham Bulls, I believe, were AA. Uh, I'm not I, sure. I always feel like, like in the movie, they're single A. <laughs> <laughs> they just might very well be. 
uh, you know, part of the problem with this whole minor league reorganization was they did away with the traditional league names. You know, uh, Pacific Coast League, Texas League, Sally League, you know, things of that. They did away with those names. Now it's just this generic regionalized name, and uh, it makes it hard to put a team to a locality, to a to a league, to a division. You know, it's, it's almost the same as saying it's hard putting a name to a face. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and and now as uh, fans come back, minor league baseball will really be able to assess where they are after this reorganization. Um, yeah. And- you, you know, know and, and you figure out the first game at the first game at Brooklyn opening night. Uh, as many people they would allow into the park, that's how many people were there. Uh, people were starving for Cyclones baseball. It was nice to see. I was thinking, I was pondering uh, the size of the crowd, you know, considering the protocol. But uh, you know, people came out and they wanted to see this Cyclones. So as many people that they allowed in, that's how many people were there. Well, that's great to hear and great to see. Um, and I was out actually at Coney Island uh, before a game, but I wasn't able to go to a game. It just so happened inadvertently I was at Coney Island before they were playing a home game. And you can certainly – the only thing that told me, oh, the Cyclones must be playing tonight was the fact that I kept seeing Dodgers and Mets and Yankees and Cyclones here. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the famous four. Um and, you know, it's great that they were able to bring professional baseball back to Brooklyn eventually. Uh, but, uh, of course, you know, in many ways, um, blacktops got paved over sandlots in the latter half of the century. And basketball became uh, uh, the, probably the, the number one sport in Brooklyn. And I think it was fitting that uh, in terms of a major franchise coming back, that basketball was the franchise uh, to return. The Nets were the franchise to return major sports back to Brooklyn. So, you know, the, right now, uh, we would briefly, we can say that the Knicks who made the playoffs were kind of in a position that the Nets were a few years ago with a happy go lucky Cinderella story team that unfortunately couldn't get deep into the playoffs, but then were able to attract stars. And hopefully that's what the Knicks are able to do as I am a Knicks fan. You, however, grew up a Knicks fan, but have uh, uh, shifted your allegiances because you're a Brooklyn guy. It's all about Brooklyn for me. Uh, my allegiance to Brooklyn is unyielding. And, you know, it's not just when they came here. It's when Bruce Ratner originally announced that he was purchasing the Nets and moving them to Brooklyn. He made that announcement in either 2002 or 2003. I was hooked right then and there. Uh, I was so excited for a major league uh, professional organization to come back to Brooklyn and call it home. Uh, that That's my mindset. And, and yeah, I'm emotionally invested in the Nets. I'm a Nets fan. Uh, and, you know, I go back to the 70s with the Knicks. The, Knicks, the Mets and the Knicks were my two favorite teams, my first two favorite teams ever in life. I never thought I'd you know, experience something like this. I never thought this would happen to me. Uh, did that happen when the Islanders came to Brooklyn? Hell no. The Nets were a special and unique situation, <laughs> and uh, I, I doubt it will ever happen again. Should any well, other let me let me really quickly let me ask you this hypothetical. 
had if they had called themselves the Brooklyn Islanders, would you have a, had a little bit uh, more of a a hard, no. hard time with that? No, or was it no, because, because the Nets were the first? The Nets were the first. You know, nobody can duplicate what the Nets mean and what they meant coming to the borough. So nobody can duplicate that. Everybody's just, uh, you know, next in. It's because they were first. And, yeah, uh, I, I've, been an emo- I've been emotionally invested ever since. And that, that's to say that the Knicks made it very easy as well. Let's think back where they were back in 2002. <laughs> Let's think back where they were in 2000 for that matter. You know, and I go back with the Knicks to the 70s. I remember Walt Frazier as a Nick. I didn't see the championship, but I remember him still in a, in a Nick uniform. That's how far back I go. Uh, so it, it's strange. Uh, the, the Knicks opened the door. I, I'm talking they blew the doors off. They left it wide open for me to just walk out and, and, and bring the Nets into my life. I, I've never disliked the Nets growing up. Uh, I, I always enjoyed the uniqueness uh, of New York having nine professional teams. You know, you're never bored. You'll always have something to watch. But, uh, yeah, I'm emotionally invested in the Nets. I'm a Nets fan. Uh, and my son, who's 30, said if, if and when the Knicks do win a championship, uh, that I am banned from the championship parade. <laughs> Right, and it doesn't seem like you really, you know, I, I think with both, with the rivalry, if you will, the Nets and the Knicks, it hasn't really uh, kindled itself to a level of hatred yet. You know, and I think, like, there were some really hard-fought contests this year between the two, uh, and ones that were were decided on some controversial calls. So the Knicks certainly made it interesting, but I think when it all can't, comes down to it, they're still missing those couple pieces that are that are superstars. You know, they need their Mike Piazza eventually. Nothing against <laughs> what they were able to do in Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett. These are growing players. You know, and Julius Randle's just coming into his own as a 26-year-old. So hopefully this isn't the last we're seeing, and he can have a better playoff run if and when the next time they make it. Uh, I would agree with that, uh, but the face of the Knicks is definitely going to change. This is not the team that's going to continue forward. Uh, but don't forget, Julius Randle was here last year. Barrett was here last year. Now, Barrett's only 20. Let's leave him out. But Julius Randle was here last year, and he was horrible. Uh, what changed for the Knicks finally is Leon Rose and Coach Thibodeau. Finally got two people who know what the hell they're doing and know how to run an organization and how to coach a team. Uh, that. That that's that's the most important thing. Uh, so they finally got this thing turned around. If you notice, Dolan hasn't meddled in their affairs, uh, and with nothing to do, he turns his wrath on the Rangers. That's a, for another discussion. But you finally <laughs> got good people in place that know how to run an organization. That's the utmost importance for the Knicks this season. You know, and that trickled down to the court. What you saw on the court this season well, was a result of what happened upstairs. You know, it's the trickle-down effect. Uh, but Thibodeau had a, a lot to do with that. And the playoffs is a different beast. Uh, if I were, you know, I'm still a Knicks fan. How can I not be a Knicks fan? You just got to be happy with what went on this season, how it went down, and, and take the playoffs with a grain of salt. It's called the building process, you know. 
So uh, exactly, I, it reminds me a lot. I think it was uh, 1982, 1984. Uh, Bernard King leading, you know, uh, a large contingent of really no-name Knicks into the playoffs, defeating the Pistons in the first round, and then taking the Boston Celtics to Game Second in Round Two, uh, Game Seven in Round Two. That's what this year reminded me of. But the Knicks didn't make it out of the first round. But I don't begrudge them for that. Uh, it was a fun season, finally, finally, after a long, long time. And the Carmelo Anthony years were not fun. I didn't find them fun at all. So, you know, you're talking about, for me personally, the first fun year in, in 21 years. Well, I'm, I'm, a, Carl, uh, I'm a Carmelo Anthony uh, enthusiast and apologist uh, because I think he gets, he's gotten too much flack. For those years, um, I really enjoyed the 12-13 team. I think I was at uh, opening day on Christmas Day because I think there was a lockout. Um, and so I do have uh, a fond memories one way or another of, of that squad. You know, it was that's another one, you know, when you really look at it, like it was unfortunate that they couldn't make it out of the second round after, uh, you know, breezing through the first one. But but let, let's not, you know, that we're, we're here to talk Brooklyn, so I'm going to segue <laughs> over to the play of the Brooklyn Nets now. Give, give us an update, you know, because the last I heard, they beat the Celtics. Where are they currently? The Nets uh, defeated the Milwaukee Bucks in game one of the second round. They uh, they won the first round against Boston rather handily, uh, four games to one. And uh, right now, tonight, they play game two against the Bucks. James Harden is hurt. No word, no word when he's coming back. His hammy's barking again. So, you know, the Nets are left with their big two, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, to carry the load. And, you know, we'll see what happens. But uh, they did a good job in game one without Harden. Uh, let's see if they can continue that. Uh, but it's exciting. Here in the city, there's a lot of animosity. Uh, between fan bases, Knicks, Nets, uh, you know, it, it's the big brother, little brother thing. Uh, this will always be a Knicks town. This will never be a Nets town, blah, 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 blah. But you and I, I think, uh, re- realize something else going on here. It's a lot like Larry Bale and the Dodgers. Uh, Nets aren't trying to win over New York City. They're just Brooklyn. That's what it says on their jersey, Brooklyn. For as long as they maintain Brooklyn, Brooklyn is the world. The other four boroughs matter little to me personally as a Brooklynite. And I think that's important because I'm a fan and I live here. I'm not an outsider. I'm not a carpetbagger, you know, or anything like that. I'm a Brooklynite and that's how I feel. I don't need to win over Bronx, Queens, Staten Island, Manhattan. Knicks are going to have them. This is about Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Nets. And Larry McPhail said, you know what? Screw that deal we have with the Yankees and the Giants over the radio broadcast. We're putting our games on radio because they have the benefit of having New York across their chest. We have Brooklyn. We're confined to, the, to, to our border with Queens and, and, and the waterfront. That's all we have. And it's the same thing. It's really no different. That's what the Nets have. They don't put New York across their chest. They have Brooklyn across their chest. 2.7 million people. Just remember that. 
And that's the beauty of the borough. That's why it's my favorite city in the world. Um, but I, I just I, haven't been able to uh, uh, get to, you I know, know, it's just, I grew up 12 blocks from the garden. So as much as I've adopted Brooklyn, I just don't see I, it's going to happen for me. I tell you what, I love, and by saying love, I, I can't stand it makes my blood boil, but I love the sports radio narrative when it comes to the Nets and the Knicks for that matter. They're, look, they're all clearly Knicks biased, but that's not my point. My point is when they speak on behalf of Brooklyn, because I know not one of them on either station from morning through midnight spends any kind of time in Brooklyn, and yet they feel like they're speaking for us? No, 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 no. That's where all of them are mistaken, <laughs> and that's where all of them are so wrong insofar as what they do for a living only when it comes to speaking about Brooklyn and the Nets. Otherwise, they're good at what they do, and that's why we tune in, because it's entertainment and we enjoy it. But when it comes to Brooklyn, they couldn't be more wrong insofar as the words that come out of their face. <laughs> they have no clue. They are not in touch. They spend no time here. And they're going to tell me about, you know, what goes on through the minds of Brooklynites on the streets on a daily? No, 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 no. They are so mistaken. Stop looking at the mirror and stop patting each other, you know, each other on the back. Stop, 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 stop. Stop having hosts calling one show into another and saying how great you are and, and reciprocate. Oh, yeah, you're great. No. When it comes to Brooklyn, shut your faces, guys, because you don't know what you're talking about. You don't spend a goddamn second in Brooklyn. Don't speak for us. Thank you very kindly. And that's why I started my Brooklyn Trolley blog, so I could speak for myself and for Brooklyn. And you do it so well, man. Like, I, I can't wait to cut that specific clip out and put it into a tweet or, uh, or <laughs> a Facebook post. <laughs> I'm going to figure it out the first time we're, do- we're going to be doing it in Bedford and so on in history, but it's got to be done. And I'm not naming main, I'm not naming names, but they're all included, okay? Even the ones I like or dislike. <laughs> you know, I, I, that's that's how it is. It's a Brooklyn thing, you know. Forget about it, as they say, as, as it forget says. Forget about end. it. Forget about it. Forget about <laughs> leave, them. You leave Brooklyn. You're leaving Brooklyn. Forget about it. <laughs> you know what? I'm still worked up now. I got to go out and find the neck cream. Oh man, well. It, Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to the Bedford and Sullivan podcast. We're keeping it short and sweet with this one, and we're going we're gonna to cap it off with a Brooklyn Botanical Gardens talk. Uh, Mike, like you and I were talking before the show, they're back open. They were not open last, se- uh, last season, unfortunately, um, and it, it's such a nice, amazing thing to have over there on Eastern Parkway once more. Eastern Parkway is wonderful. Between the Botanical Garden, the library, and the museum, it's a great place to spend a day, a whole day, indoors, outdoors. Go to the Botanical Gardens. Lose yourself within the concrete jungle. I mean, that's what literally happens. You go in there and you forget where you are. And then when you, you know, you exit, you're back into the concrete, concrete jungle, and then you appreciate it so much more. So experience that. Uh, it's a treasure, a treasure of New York City. It's a treasure of Brooklyn, uh, Eastern Parkway. You can spend a whole day there and then just go eat, 
you know, brunch, breakfast, lunch, dinner, whatever you want, down Vanderbilt or Fifth Avenue or wherever you want to go. Uh, you know, the, the borough is wide open from that destination. Beautiful. You heard him, folks. Heed his words. And uh, that will do it for this edition of the Bedford and Sullivan podcast. But uh, one more time, Mike, tell everybody where they can find you. Shameless plug away. The Brooklyn Trolley Blogger dot dot com. Uh, I've been so far spending the spring talking about the Brooklyn Royal Giants and Brooklyn semi pro baseball uh, from about you know a century ago. So much baseball, so much so much action taking place here in Brooklyn. It's a lot of fun researching it. You know, I'm just throwing out individual games, but on the side, I'm trying to amass whole seasons of the Brooklyn Royal Giants. Uh, so there it is. Beautiful stuff as always. And everybody, please go check out the Brooklyn trolleyblogger.blogspot.com. And uh, that will do it for us on the Bedford and Sullivan podcast, everybody. Stay cool, stay dry, stay focused, stay strong. Take care, everybody. Let's go Brooklyn. Thank you, Sam. Let's go Brooklyn. Let's go Nets. Championship or bust. <laughs> <laughs> Later.